Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first episode of Laptop Coaches, where we interview sports industry professionals. We will outline their journey, their current role, their sporting beliefs, and of course, their tips to our audience. This week's podcast guest is Jeff Lahart. Jeff is currently a coach development specialist at the Special Olympics and has a massive coaching background which includes positions at League of Ireland underage teams and the video analyst role with the Ireland under 16 setup. Jeff is undoubtedly one of the best coaches that Ireland has to offer in this moment in time. Today, Jeff shares with us his story so far, his belief system as a coach, the importance of academic research on supporting everything you do and his advice for players and coaches. This one is a belter guys. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Um, we've been mates ages, and it's as if we just came off, came off the same like, because we started college together and we came off the kind of like same page. But why did you? So you finished leaving, sir? Yeah. You you did very well as well, and you probably had a good indication that you were going to do well. Yeah, happy enough with the results now, to be honest. You could have done whatever, what most people do. Why did you do coaching? I never asked you that. I was I was coaching anyway. So I I started off coaching in, in school, like with um, the academy in my club that I was playing for at the time. And then that was just something that interested me in like sport in general. So... In leaving school, I wanted to do something like physiotherapy or something like that to be involved in sport. And just as not really a backup, but like an alternative, I had sports management down. Um, I had that and I had the sports science one in Tala down as well. So in getting the results, obviously I, I didn't hit the points for physio, which was grand. And in the long run now, I'm, I'm happy that I didn't because I got through the course that I was doing. Yeah. And just ended up in, in that sort of realm. And then being in like a sports course, being able to kind of engulf myself in that, learn more about different sports, not just football, which I was involved in, but like loads of different sports, learn the way things are done, learning from lecturers, from from other students and all that. It just kind of took off from there, I suppose. And then I just got involved and in more and more into the coaching side of things, stopped playing and then just progressed into it that way. We, we would like, well, we are sporty. We, we, we go to gym, you play football and you're starting to play football again and we, we keep fit. We're into sport. We like sport. But I'm sure you know people as well that were more sporty than you. There, there definitely were more people in my year sportier than me. Why, did, why is it that we wanted to hang on to something to do with sport? Why did we want to get into sport? Why, why is that, do you think? I think there's a drive. I think some people have a passion to be involved in sport and and actually have that passion like some people do it as a part as a pastime or like part-time whatever and it's yeah it's fun it's enjoyable they like the social aspect of it but there's a an idea of i suppose like discipline to be involved in sport long term which i mean you're looking at it now like obviously the olympics is on at the moment and you're seeing these people have dedicated their lives to it mm. and like that's a discipline that that's being able to to stick to something week in week out train three, four times a week, matches on the weekends. You know, like you said, we're sporty, so we obviously watch our diet. We go to the gym. We have that sense of commitment. I think 
people get to a stage where they're like you know college hits or whatever like that and they're, they're doing sport as like a participation thing and then it becomes more of like a social aspect well i think for us because obviously we've had conversations on this before like we have that sort of drive mindset where we want to participate at the top and yeah. that might not be in the premise of like actually playing as as a top player or athlete or whatever but to be involved in that and to to try and drive high performance and high performing people to a point and like by high performance i don't mean people competing at the top like olympians or professional footballers but to have a, a high performance standard in whatever whatever level that we're coaching at or participating in yeah that that's interesting that you say that because like and now this is this is going to sound ridiculous especially for people that are listening that know me i wanted to be a professional football player up until around fourth or fifth year which was just so stupid because i was shit so did i like it's but it's so like you hear even people i remember people who were playing five six leagues above me at an age group above me going oh god i i, I just love to play Lancer senior league top division and i was like jesus if this person is compromising should i be maybe like that's interesting that you mentioned that drive because it kind of just becomes an obsession to do it completely and 100 percent right and now that's that we're coaching yeah no that's 100 percent what it is like i remember listening to a podcast there with reese wabara on at the, the high performance podcast and he was talking about like his mindset his drive when he was coming up through the age group so he was at city coming up through the age groups he was like Obviously, one of the best players there. I think he was one of the, the youngest debutants for, for City at the time. And his aspirations were always playing the Premier League, you know, win a Premier League, something like that. And he did it at whatever age he was, 17, 18, something like that. And now, in him reflecting on it, he's thinking, why weren't my aspirations to win a Champions League or win a World Cup with England yeah. or something like that? So I think even people at the top level have those, like, aspirations but there's always more and I think maybe we had that sort of drive to to play professionally up to a point obviously when we realized there was like we weren't good enough which is fair but I think for for me it was like I got to a point where I was like I'm not good enough I can play at a good level not a great level but what's now the pathway for me to go in and be involved at that top top level that I want to be it's an obsession that you need to get there through whatever means like and it's just something that is translated into coaching Jeff yeah. I want you to tell people just for the audience your exact role right now so currently I'm a coach education and development specialist in Special Olympics so that involves um, assisting with a, a global coach education curriculum which is to be rolled out to we've, we've seven different regions um, that the, each each curriculum will be tailored to the region, so it's not yeah. one that, that we're passing down that everyone has to follow. It it's gonna be one that's customized and tailored to to the needs of the coaches in that region and to whatever like the um facilities they have or anything like that. And then the other part of my job would be in resource development. So it it's kind of finding the needs and wants of coaches around the world and creating resources based off that so that could be sport specific coaching guides um just again as, as a bit of an assistance to, to coaches or it could be online e-learning courses 
or you know something that I've done a bit more recently is working with our sports partners to to create resources in in those areas so like tennis or swimming or something like that what would you say that's a lot of work and I know you work really hard at that and it'll become more evident to the audience as we go on what do you think is your biggest influence on that in terms of helping you with that work is it from college is it from your actual practical experience as a coach what do you think I think there's a combination of of both or both the ones that you you mentioned there like in addition to just general work ethic yeah like I I personally think I've got my work ethic through sport Mm -hmm. like just through learning a true sport like applying myself to whatever I was playing at the time or you know if it was football I was always training and I was always into like prehab rehab everything like that nutrition so I, I had a sense of discipline but so obviously the the practical side of things has a benefit on it and the, the coaching experience I've had throughout the years obviously benefits that role because I'm, um, coming, I'm looking at well I'm looking at it from a coach's point of view yeah. so in in my role I'm if you want it it's kind of looking at it from a a holistic view like overlooking everything each region each different country and then actually being a coach myself lets me to to look at from the flip side and be a coach on the ground looking up thinking okay I've I've been a coach at grassroots level what was I missing okay when I wanted to yeah so like what what did my local sports organization or club or you know international organization not have available to me at the time or what did they have available to me that we don't offer in our current like in my current position what does our organization not offer our coaches that might have been available to me at the time putting yourself in the other person's shoes i heard someone say and they say that's why jürgen klopp despite him being nuts is a big uh, is a big reason why he's successful is his level of empathy just while we're on it i want to get back to your early days and stuff but before but first tell me what do you think empathy because that's what it seems you're describing would you say your ability to yeah. relate to other people yeah what would you say would you say that's a big influence or that's something that you need as a coach oh 100 em- empathy is probably my number one value when it comes to coaching so i why we see other people go on other walks of life maybe people that were sporty and just don't have those that was not people skills because they do have people skills, but maybe that emotional capacity, that ability to be empathetic. Possibly, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, it's not something that I've really thought of, to be honest. But I mean, there's the flip side to that as well, where like there's coaches that don't have empathy mm-hmm. who are successful. Yeah, and that I don't think that's a driver, but I think give us a name there. Go on. Uh, I, I don't or, even know. Like it's. It's hard to tell because you don't know what the background is of each coach. That's true. That's true. It. I mean, one, one that probably comes to mind first and foremost is probably like a Mourinho style. Yeah, I had him in my head there. I had yeah. him in my head. I hope he doesn't listen. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he. I'm sure he is empathetic in some aspects. Like I remember at Spurs, I didn't say I'm sure he's listening. Yeah. <laughs> like his dog died when he was at Spurs around Christmas, and he was oh, like, Jesus, yeah. He was like so down in the dumps, and like that—that's such a, a relatable thing that I'm sure anyone who's had a dog can can relate to. And like, I'm sure there's empathy in that side of him 
when something like that happens. But then you look at the stories of him with like Luke Shaw. Or... That's what I'm saying, though. That's like, and I've no doubt that playing for him is amazing. And I'm sure it was even more amazing. But that does not show any empathy at all. And considering it's happened on a consistent basis, it's not as if Luke Shaw was a bad person. It's yeah. happened consistently. That's it. Yeah. And there's that three-year like theory that happens with him. And I know that's been broken now with, uh, with Spurs. Like, but he, um, the, he's obviously he pushes people to a point, and I think people lose that, that kind of trust or whatever it is that he has at the start. He has a grip on them at the start, and everything works out well. But then something slips, and I wonder: is it that empathy? Just now that we're talking about it, it kind of. I I I think it is huge in coaches, and I I I. I know it's not, it doesn't see, I say Mourinho does have some level of empathy, but it just doesn't come across to us in the public as if he has that. He can't, I just have never seen him imagine what it's to, what it's like to be the other person or to be the person, even he's talking to in interviews, you know what I mean? Of yes. course, emotions take over the moment, but. Even like when people are asking them difficult questions, it's as if they're doing it themselves on purpose. Like it is their job. It's their role to do that. But anyway, we won't get caught too much up on this. Yeah. Speaking of empathy, I have empathy for myself and I have empathy for every coach that does their first coaching session ever. Because for me, it was a disaster. I don't know what I was doing. If you saw me you and the stuff that I preach about now, you'd actually probably laugh like, and you'd be like, is he ripping the piss? So you'd, you'd genuinely think that. I think I did a shooting drill with loads of people waiting out. I think I had a jittly ladders in there somewhere as well. If I could get my hands on them, I definitely would have used them at the time. You would have laughed. Yeah. Tell me about your first coaching session that you can remember. Tell me what it was like. I actually do remember it was um it was in the academy in the local club just um went up to to work with the nursery so like the four five six year olds um walked in there was a couple of hundred kids running around the place absolute carnage and I I never played in a nursery myself so it, it was my <laughs> first experience of it like so I didn't really know what was going on but the the lads that were running it at the time were unbelievable and I actually I worked with one of them then for oof, probably four or five years like from that day onwards um in a variety of roles uh up to like league representation level and went away on trips to like Premier League clubs and went Were down to the, unbelievable yeah out there. Paul Barry is his Paul name Barry, there you go Paul by the podcast listen up <laughs> We got to get a name called. He uh, he was running it, and there was another fella there. I can't think of his name. I think it was Noel or something like that. But he, um, two of them, just kind of they had control over everything. They they had a plan. They knew what they were doing. They knew what information needed to be delivered. But they had that personalization to them, where each player was different and needed a different quality. And I just remember that standing out. From Empathy. The bit of empathy there yeah exactly so yeah I just remember it was like a dark Friday night just going out didn't didn't really know what to expect what I'd be doing anything thought I'd be there kind of you know following the balls when they go off the pitch or whatever yeah Yeah, kind of raining sheep in like making sure they stay on the pitch or whatever it was and like that was obviously part of it but 
just um yeah they kind of just told me this is this is what we're looking to do they did the demos showed me what needed to be done and then it was just a matter of applying it and um i ended up sticking sticking with the nursery then for four or five years i think and ended up taking over running it now a few years down the line with Paul awesome. yeah i remember that but so that was it was a good positive experience for your first time mine i thought i did well but looking back now i'm actually kind of like jesus well from what we know now which we will get to very shortly and that's when me and jeff will absolutely unload on you guys listening but i look back jeff on some of the stuff that i did like i just said there and I'm a bit like, why did I do that? I don't know why I did that. I wish I had the knowledge that I had then that I have now. Is there any time I'm back in your coaching, even for a certain period of time, where you look back and go, well, what was I doing there? And share with the audience. All the time. It's so. Yeah. All the time. Like, literally, I could even think of, like, sessions that I'd done few like obviously not a few months ago because we're just coming out of COVID and, and things have been have been locked down but like within recent times recent sessions that I would have put on that was kind of like why why did I do that it doesn't really align with what I want to do or what I wanted to do or what give would us benefit- an example give us a cold hard example that we can go back to it'd be I suppose so I was working with an under 17s national league team at the, at the time. Um, second year with the players, had them at 15s as well. Couple of new players, n- n- not a major amount. So knew them all very well. Um, just like knew the players weren't fans of warm ups, like the conventional, you know, sort of SNC warm up where you literally just have to get the muscles warm. Like it's not particularly yeah. fo- focused. It's it's football movements, but it's not um doesn't really involve the ball, no real crack. It was like the a day or two after we'd lost the game. So morale wasn't at the highest it could have been. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was just um I, I don't know if it was like me having some low morale or something at the time as well, but it was just a matter of like trying to go through the motions and and do the warm-up. So we were going through the S and C warm-up, but it, it wasn't really benefiting everyone, it was at a poor standard, it was low. Mm-hmm. Like just stuff like that, you'd I'd rather scale it back, make it fun, you know, do something like a handball or yeah, 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 like yeah. Where you, you actually have like you have a bit of crack, but you're getting yourself warm, you're getting yourself ready to go. Then you put a bit of responsibility on the players to do the stretches, do everything like that. Because I think that's yeah, I'm part 17 of years old. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That, that's that's part of the the responsibilities of them as well. But I think just that that's one that probably stands out where it's like oh i didn't need to force them to do something because you your warm up is the start right. of a session so from the session from the start onwards morale was already low and that probably didn't help it so then you're you're fighting your own battle to try and get them up to a, a good standard then from there i'm on that page as well where i think do we do we become so obsessed with Say because we know what to do, Jeff. We know what is recommended. We know what the the experts say. We know what the research says. Do you think we become so obsessed sometimes with following that format that we've been sold to us, whether it's by the FAI, whether it's by research, whether it's from whoever you look up to as coach inspiration or look for coach education? 
do we become so obsessed with following there may be just the only example out of many examples they could have given us there's those eight so they gave us one example do you think we become obsessed with following that and following that format to the point where we're like we can't change this even under circumstances like you mentioned where there's low morale or people aren't up for it as much maybe they're a bit fatigued yeah 100 percent. there's I, I don't know what it is i think people like systems i i think i don't know if that's like a, a new age thing where people like to be told what to do and they and they do it um because that's not the case with players i think players are the opposite they don't like being told yeah. what to do they they like something to be organized for them but then they like that element of freedom to to go and do whatever they want which is what football is because i mean as a coach you can't control every movement that a player no. makes when they're on the pitch Save so that why, for later. Save that for later. We're gonna get on to that. We are. Don't worry. All like, you go on. Why would why would you try and do that in your training session? Like what? Control why would you everything, Jeff. Control? You're saying control everything. Why would why would a coach try to control everything? I don't know, Jeff. That's a good question. Maybe maybe some people could tell us why. <laughs> would you like to control everything, Jeff? Jeff, in your session? No. And tell me why, though. Tell me why. While we're on the topic, I want to get, I want to touch on you one last bit, but just for later on, tell me why you wouldn't like to control everything in your session. It's not realistic. It's not realistic to what? To an actual game. To an actual game. There you go. Cut it there. That's all you need for now. That's it. Podcast over. No, I'm joking. We're still going to go for another while longer. Jeff, before we get on to that, and we will get into that, because that's your speciality. That's what you taught me a lot over the years. I would never admit it to you other than the fact that we're on a podcast. I'll never say it again. But I've learned a lot from you over the years. A lot about sports science, but a lot about research and a lot about research-based evidence. I know we were doing it in college, but I was asleep during the lectures, so and you were awake, and you told me after. So I did learn a lot from you other than the lectures, more than so than the lecturers who were actually teaching us. So if any of them are listening, sorry, I switched on for my master's. Um, Jeff, what led to you, just to finally touch on you, because you you've a really good job. It is a really good job and it's hard to get within Ireland in sports. So for all the college people listening out there, for all the sports coaches, the aspiring sports coaches out there, who are going to college, who are doing third level education, who maybe want to go back and do third level education, Jeff, kind of give kind of an easy step-by-step really quickly way of how you got to there, maybe some skills that you uh, have, or maybe just step-by-step what to do in order to get a job like that. I know that's a hard question. You can ignore the applying for jobs and looking online and all that. Tell me what kind of characteristics, what skills, what mindset, what uh, skills you need in coaching, particularly to have. That, that's what I was going to say. Like, there's not really a, a step-by-step way of going about it. I think it's it like that. It's skills and characteristics, I think, is the main thing. And I'm sure my boss would tell you the same if, if she was on this. She'd, she'd tell you that it's it's more the passion behind coaching. Like, the, the two of us would regularly have... 40 50 minute conversations on some random topic on coaching and yeah it would just come up for like a paper that we've read or someone that we know or something like that and it it's not like you know i i couldn't give you do this do this do this and then you'll end up with a job like mine because that's not how it works it's mm-hmm. 
it's more along the lines of you know get practical experience would be number one because that's pretty much how I got my job and through practical experience then things started to be things started to relate then so I'm in college doing my degree we're doing modules on theory of coaching we're doing modules on performance science all this sort of stuff that's then relating to what I'm doing on a day-to-day on the pitch and then as I start to apply those things I'm getting more confident in myself so I want more challenges. So I started to progress up the levels and work with different players, work with different clubs, leagues, stuff like that. And then it kind of just grows from there. And then, I mean, it obviously helps working at a, a quote unquote unquote higher level with, with players of a, of a better standard, I suppose, if you want to call them that. Um, because people see you then as, as being a better coach, which I, I don't think is necessarily the point I think there's you know there's better coaches than me that are working at grassroots level with under five six and sevens because that's not the level that I'd be most comfortable at okay but I think I was good at working with the 14s 15s 16s 17s even that sort of level even up to 19s which is like as far as I've gone um I could work with them. I could relate to them. I was able to build good relationships. And then through that, I was able to obviously gain the experience, like kind of mix that with the, the theory from college. And then it puts you in a position where you, you, you start to know people. You, you start getting more opportunities for yourself. And then when you're when opportunities arrive, arise, it's a matter of picking the best ones for you. And I think that the main thing I learned along the way was how to say no. Okay. Opportunities came up that weren't going to benefit me. They'd only benefit one other person, which would be the person organizing it that I was trying to pawn off work. Without, without naming names, and I think I know what you're talking about, tell the audience, without naming industries or organizations, tell me. Well, this, I mean, I couldn't point to one in particular, but like, people approaching you on you know twitter whatsapp whatever mm-hmm. you, you might know them through a course or something and uh you might know them through someone else they text you asking for you know oh will you give us a dig out for a few sessions for the next few weeks and then like you might do it the first couple of times like yeah grand no bother mm-hmm. do a few sessions of course or you know like joining coaching setups with with clubs and you know in, in the League of Ireland, I'm of the opinion that the coaches should be paid for the time and hours that they put in. Yeah, I agree. Um, you might be promised money and it just never comes up. Hmm. Not that I'm... We're not touching on that. We've been there, remember? Yeah. We won't mention names. <laughs> but it's uh, just, you know, bits like that. And then you kind of need to... You learn as you go. You figure out characters, what they're like and who, who you can trust and who you can't trust. But... I think like, yeah, doing sessions for people and then, or, you know, taking up jobs that aren't, aren't worth the, the time and effort because mm. of what you're going to get out of them. Because it's in sport, a lot of people think they can take advantage of it. Exactly. Sport in Ireland is very, very amateur. Well, we're, we're, we're tell you what, starting today with this podcast, we're changing that and we've been dying for this and now we've got the opportunity. And now that brings me on to the next thing, Jeff. And it, it starts the basis of 
where our relationship begins and where our kind of common themes between us two begin. What effect did college have on you as a coach? So Jeff, as I mentioned beforehand, has a bachelor's of science degree in sport and exercise management where he specialized in coaching management. And he also has a master's of science in coaching science from UCD, University College Dublin, for those who are away from Ireland. What influence did that have, Jeff, on you as a coach? I think massively. It, uh, it was a combination of, of factors, I suppose. Like, it's, I think the main thing was college making me like a, a critical thinker. And that was part of, that, like, that was something that we heard over the first few years. And, like, admittedly, it took me, like, two years anyway. Like, our, our, course, our course was three years and it took me, like, two, two and a half to actually get myself together in it and, and figure it out. Like, first year was a disaster. So you were out partying all the time? Uh, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but... <laughs> no, I, I did the same the last year then. So we yeah. Just... <laughs> <laughs> but, like, it was just the point where I just didn't know how, how college worked. I didn't know how to write assignments or anything like that. But you just, like that, again, it's... Still like, don't. Yeah, still, yeah, exactly. Well, thank God college is done now. <laughs> I don't have to do them anymore. But no, was, no. I, I, was able, I figured out as I went along and figured out what you, like, you needed to do and what, what you get an A for, what you get a B for and, and the effort that you put into it. And just Tell like, me about critical thinking, Jeff. Yeah, I think it just... It, what is it? What does it mean? What, what, why is it quite important for coaches? The best way I can describe it is question everything. Every single thing that comes up, everything you see on Twitter, on the news, whatever, whatever someone says to you, question it. Why? Ask why. Mm-hmm. Or, like we, we obviously you had Seamus as well, but like Seamus Kelly was at one of our lecturers, and we had him for like one of our first lectures ever, and he he just kept talking like you know throwing these words that I've never heard of before like pedagogy and yeah hadn't a clue holistic. I remember he's write these words down he'd, he'd always say write this word down yeah and I, i'm pretty sure through my whole theory of coaching book each week i had pedagogy and holistic written down each week because he kept telling us to do it <laughs> but like there was obviously a reason behind it and his he had a i think it was chris cushion i can't remember who it was obviously uh, chris is well known in the academic world for his coaching research yeah but anytime chris had come over to Seamus. Uh, to present at lectures or anything, uh, they'd be talking about some of the research that they're doing. And Chris would always just uh, like, he'd always say, so what? That, that, that was the question. So Seamus would be telling about research that he's doing, could be working with anyone, you know, top, top clubs in the world doing this research and whatever. And then Chris would just be like, so what? What, like, what, what, what good is that? And then that just gets you thinking, like, oh my God, is what am I doing? Like, is this actually legit? Is it? But it's that question, that simple thing makes you think so much more into what you're doing or what, what everyone else is doing. So that, that's kind of what I adopted along the way was like, all right, what, why are you doing that? What's the benefit of that? How does that relate to your sport or your relationship with a player or whatever it is? And then the so what? How does this benefit? Yeah. How does this benefit me? How does this benefit the players? 
how does it benefit their game or the game plan? Flip it the other way. How how does it like negatively impact on your opposition or something like that? You know, can you can you flip it that way as well? Like you're running a tactical session and you set your players up to play out from the back, and then you know how are you negatively going to impact the opposition's press? How, how are you going to move them around? Or? Yeah. And Jeff, let me just give a simple example for the audience. So the so what in practice. So would it fit into this? And this is just to get us going on, on this kind of section. I'm a coach and I'm telling you, Jeff, I'm training Liverpool under 12s and we're doing a thing. And I t- I'm telling you, I'm taking them to a warm up and then we go out of the warm up and I go into a whole thing of running around cones and it looks really good and they're really, really exhausted. And is this the moment where you come in and say, so what? What does this do for the players? Yeah, big time. Well, if you can explain to me how that exercise or activity that you've done benefits a player, scoring a goal, breaking a press, whatever, in a game, getting past a a mid-block, you tell me how running around cones, making kids exhausted benefits them. I'll be impressed, to be honest. I was just about to say, yeah. that was exactly in my head. I was about to say, yeah. oh, you'd be really impressed. I'd be shocked. Well, I think the thing is, these days, like people come up, they make up these like reasons for things. But that's where the critical thinking comes into it. They say something and, you know, they give you a spiel and they have reasons for this and this person does that and this person does that and this. And then you say... In, like to yourself or in your own head you might even say it out loud it doesn't matter it depends on how much you care about the other person but so what so yeah. what if you saw Borussia Dortmund's under 16s team doing this <laughs> so what if you know Liverpool's first team did this in a training session you saw a, a two minute video of Liverpool context is session. everything isn't it context is huge and that that has to be taken into account for everything yeah, and so like if you see Bayern Munich doing a certain drill or a certain type of thing, there's a reason for it. It could be to do with the loading. It could be to do with they might have a match the next day. They could be fatigued from the day before. They might just be doing a very light warm-up. Exactly. Or like, could be low, like you said. They might just be doing something fun. It doesn't mean that they're going to. And they also have hours and hours to play with of time. We have are using the same drill going out in an hour and a half session that they have once a week and just putting it on. That's exactly it. Like if you look at professional clubs in England, I think players are in 14, 15 hours a week minimum with the clubs, excluding game time. This is contact hours. Like clubs here, like League of Ireland clubs have what an hour and a half, three hours. Four hours, maybe training. Four hours training. Jesus Christ! And then a game day. Like you might have a gym session as well. Maybe two. Maybe, but not even for most clubs, probably not. Yeah, probably not. That could be four hours on the pitch. Not even, I'd say. I would say that includes your video analysis. I'd say that includes your gym, your debriefs, conversations. So three hours, two and a half, three hours. It's not a lot of time. Why? Why would you waste? You know, 
say say you had three hours on the pitch contact time and you're getting these lads going around playing cups and saucers like <laughs> it's that that's where your kind of your practical element comes in like it's oh perfect i tell you what we're good we'll introduce the next topic and i know it's something you know a lot about talk to me about research for just for context because like we said there context is everything Jeff and myself uh, run an Instagram page called Abstracts Articles, where we look at sports research, not just from football, but from a range of different sports, break down the research and make it easier to understand. Jeff, talk to me about research. And I tried to get at it with the college question, but talk to me specifically about research and its influence and how it's opened your eyes to kind of how you approach coaching or how you approach sport. Give me specific examples. Yeah, I think the main thing with research is like it it's what's proven to work. Mm. The re- research in itself is is literally that people going about topics, putting information down, you know, and then actually applying it in a I know it's usually in like a restricted context or whatever, but it, it's what is proven to work versus what is guessed to work. Yeah. Or what might work in one one situation like so if you think you know like you see all these old school coaches or whatever even new school coaches if you want to call them that um running training sessions and it, you know you ask them why they're doing this whatever it's like this is the way it's always been done or well, i i well, this well, like this is a specific training example because it's about time we, this is what we've been waiting for we want to call not call them out we want to help people get better and let's show them exactly what we mean by it. Yeah, I mean... And you're like the God... You'll be known as the godfather of this in years to come now. So <laughs> you, need to, you need to be the one to address it. Um, think about... See, it's a tough one because I've been out of that sort of area for so long in terms of... For the last four or five years, I've been doing what I would clarify or classify as like games related coaching so I, I haven't really seen some of like the old school stuff that often but I, I will say going back to warm-ups right and mm-hmm. people doing like a 45 50 minute warm-up where they're running around a pitch you know you do that yeah. for like 15 20 minutes i did that last then, year when i was playing for a team there you go and how, how did that benefit you going into a match uh, it made me really good no it didn't actually um, I'm not going to go in for the rest of it. I actually uh, nearly got injured. I've never been injured before from a non-contact injury, and I actually I I nearly got injured. I, I I say I was injured for about four to five days. I've never been injured from a non-contact injury, and I never did a warm up like that before though either. So there you go. I mean, it it speaks for itself. And like even just going back to the research, like there's 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 research there on what warm ups benefit football. Which is like short, sharp movements, little sprints, touches on the ball, you know, get the ball moving, go into like a little phase of play, game sort of scenario. What players are going to face when they go into the game, just broken down. And then like there's research on that that says that's that's what's going to work. There's no research saying that running around the pitch for 20 minutes is going to get you like you're going to be warm. But the minute you do your first sprint, most likely your hamstring is going to go. 
is research emphasized enough in coach education? Not just, we're not here to bash uh, Irish coach education, maybe a little, but we're kind of here to bash all of coach education. Maybe we can't speak as much in other countries, but is research-based knowledge kind of emphasized enough, Jeff, in coach education? Just to give you some, con- once again, context, we're going to hear that buzzword loads of times in this podcast. I, I, I did a master's and I did it with a few people. I'm not going to name names. And I see coaching sessions, lovely guys. I see coaching sessions that sometimes get put on by people that I know from the masters. No, one or two of them weren't in the masters. They were just in uh, my university at the time, uh, putting on coaching sessions, Jeff. And they know this knowledge. They have this knowledge, obviously. They, they did a, a normal degree and a master's degree putting on sessions with agility ladders, putting on, and these are integral parts of their sessions, putting on sessions where there's no context, there's no, there's no game-related movement. They're passing the ball, running back to a cone and running up and passing it again. And just to get back to my question, why is research basically, like, do we emphasise it enough? Is it, is it just like, oh, go get your Masters and go, go in your way? Or, like... You talk to me. I think research research is there, and it's obviously the foundations for like curriculum in coach education, but it's not accessible, and accessible in multiple ways. One being you have to pay for it, and I know there's there's ways of getting articles and stuff, but if you want to get something off, like human performance kinetics journal or whatever it is it's like 40 quid for the for the article like who and then i saw someone calculate and say there's like 180 articles in a journal 40 quid per article like that that's a lot of money if you if you want to read it no it is and i I do get that side of it but you are in your job for a reason you have your job. And you even said to me, you were like, mate, I'm looking at the old coach education curriculum here and it's saying to do X, Y, and Z. Loads of outdated things that were probably just like, yeah, just, yeah cool, cool, perfect, that looks good. Whereas you are in your job now because you know about this stuff and you've changed this stuff. People in the F- FAI, people in the FA even, who are teaching these people on the FA are making some really good movements, to be fair. I know this from being over there when I was studying my master's. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard as much from the FAI, to be fair, but from the FA, it looks like they're heading in a good direction, to be fair, with the use of sports psychology and things like that. As, as a point on that, the FA have appointed a head of education, and it's not coach education, it's education. And her role is to apply scientific research to all contexts of the... But that's exactly what I'm saying. These people, but there shouldn't even need to be. That's what I'm saying. That she, 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 I'm sure she's, I don't know her name, but I'm sure she's doing a really good job and I'm sure she'll do a great job. But there shouldn't even need to be. There shouldn't be someone telling you at the Special Olympics, Jeff, that you need to say what's actually factual. And it's the same with coaches coming on to, say, a B licence or an A licence, where tactically the information is obviously not so bad. It's pretty good. It improves your football knowledge. But in terms of coach education improving the coach not their football knowledge the coach how come we aren't how come and these are people that have gone to college we know they've gone to college why aren't they pushing 
across what we need to, like you know what I mean what why you push across the special Olympics, what I'm trying to push across with this course why isn't there an emphasis on research let me bring it back to accessibility then as well I'm gonna say a lot of people don't understand it in terms mm-hmm. of the, the way it's like academic research is written it's quite difficult yeah. to understand and I think people don't understand it or what they do is they read it or read the abstract or, you know, a blurb or whatever, have a quick scan through it, and then they take what they want from it and then they apply it that way. So I think, like, people that are running organisations or whatever, I think a, a big thing is it's outdated, even though it could be new information, if that makes sense. So you're, we'll, we'll say the FAI, and I, I don't know if it's the, the context there or not, Um they they're putting out their coach education whatever curriculum for the next five years but that five years is being released now based on research from the past five years Mm -hmm. so when you get to the end of the five-year block of coach education that research is now 10 years out of date 10 years out of date and jeff just for the context tell just for the context, I'm going to give an example. If you have one as well, that's great. Ten years ago, there were no articles saying that agility ladders did not or did, to be fair, just to be non-biased, did or did not improve either dribbling, sprint speed, or, of course, agility. Now, just as recently, was it 2020, 2019 and 2020, wasn't it? Yeah. There were two articles released, one on... Now, this is, I'm talking definitively, there were studies on agility ladders before, but definitively, now there's a systematic review, which is basically just encapsulates lots of studies, takes into account lots of studies. There are, there is an article just out in 2020, so during a lockdown, when not many people are probably going to be paying attention to it, that says that agility ladders do not improve sprint speed, dribbling, or agility. So if the FAI made the plan, say, 10 years ago, say they might even include agility ladders as X, Y, and Z. I'm not saying they did. I'm just saying it as a raw example. This is just to prove the 10-year outdated point. And an article only came out in 2020 saying that, yeah, that's not true. So as far as you're there concerned, they can use agility ladders to improve sprint speed, dribbling, or, uh, of course, agility. And that's the importance, and that's what Jeff's getting at when he says that that research can become outdated. I yeah. think, Jeff. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I, I like I think that's that's the big thing, and like the importance of research is that it's constantly progressing, mm-hmm. it's constantly changing, it's adapting, it's exploring new new concepts. Like there's obviously reasons that like PhDs and and research projects are there's more and more of them coming up. Because there's more and more research, more and more questions being asked. Yeah. And like it it's not anyone's fault that you know research is changing. That that happens and new information comes out. So and you, you can't fight that. But I think people just need to be a bit more dynamic in, in the way that they think and the yeah. way they apply it in a context like and not all research works in a practical element either. No. Like I'm sure there's plenty of of research out there in terms of like football um, information that has to be passed on to players and or like sessions that you do that 
like theoretically work and I'm sure through the like you know S and C stats or your GPS stats or whatever, these things work best for that. But at the end of the day, you want to improve footballers and yeah, let them play football. And by doing all this stuff, it's not really going to it look good on paper, but in a practical element, you you just want players to improve as footballers. So yeah, there's there's that side of it as well. I think like obviously the research you can have such contrast and findings in research as well that like we found an article that said like um agility ladders improve was it hockey players or like ice hockey players i think i'm not 100 <laughs> sure they don't even run <laughs> there you go i mean like improve speed there but then you're we're coming out with the article that we found i think it was uh Oh, I can't think of the author's name now. Spanish guy. Adrian Cabal. Yeah, that's the one. Um, I didn't pronounce it right, and he's listening. My bad. Apologies for Ethan. Yeah, um, but like it, it gives you the opportunity to to have a comparison of these findings and like actually be able to go back to that sort of critical thinking element where you have multiple findings and then you have to find yourself in the middle mm. at the crossroads, discovering which way is going to go and that's where you take in more so it's not just the left or a right you have to take in all the other angles and see what way the research but there are some elements of research would you agree that are just constant that people don't take on board like say even the power of sports psychology the the importance of sports science strength and conditioning even just basic principles that that the under 10s manager of god knows who united based in some small area in the south of dublin can follow he can just go, yeah, or he or she can just go, yeah, X, Y, and Z, perfect. I'll bring that out onto the code, onto the field now. Easy to follow. That, that, and it's not their fault. It's not being pushed. Yeah. And I suppose that's what we're trying to do now. That's what the new generation and what we're trying to do. I'm trying to do with this business, or we try to do in abstracts, and what you even try to do through your own coaching practice and through your job as well. But like, that's the thing now as well. Like, how many coaches are getting a, a full holistic view of what coaching is at, at the very start what what they're being told is here's a, a lot of session plans go do them but there's no like there's no element of like working with people like it, it, they can get yeah. 199 a month here at the coach club <laughs> And you get session plans as part of that. Well. Yeah, and, and session plans as well. So I'm offering the full packet for only one ninety nine a month. Sign up to the Coach Club today. Thank you. <laughs> terms and conditions apply. I, I I need to write up terms and conditions. Sir. Um, but yeah. like, yeah, go on, tell me, and then I'll have a question to ask you before we wrap up. Go on. Yeah, like just just think about that in terms of you're you're starting out, you're doing your PDP one, whatever it is, first first level of the coaching ladder. And you're going in and it like insane that I haven't done my first level in I don't know how many years. What my I was doing? 16. Eight, yeah, eight years, say. And it's like, okay, I don't know what information's being offered, but I think at that level it's have fun, create situations that look like a football game, but be able to talk to your players. Like not I'm not even gonna call them players because they're kids, like be able to talk to four or five six-year-olds relate to them know what they want to do which is have fun 
play with their friends, play games, all that sort of stuff. But learn about football through play and through fun. Like that needs to be priority, not teaching someone how to, you know, make a runway out of cones. I think that needs to be put across better in, in coach education, like globally, everywhere. I think Yeah, only globally. It's not just a a hair problem, even though it is prolific here. I did see uh I saw an eight-year-old, and I told you this, and in, in, I'm not going to name the park, but everyone who knows me knows the park that I was walking in. My little brother was training there, and I'm kind of giving it away now, but you look, F it. And I saw eight-year-olds for a football team, I'm not going to mention the club, doing push-ups. Why? Going to make them strong. Yeah, going to make them strong. Going to make them <laughs> Better agility from push-ups, like that's. You know, they'd be more used than agility ladders anyway. <laughs> but like that, that just goes back to the why. Yeah, why? It looks they they'd be wrecked. They have a good pump going home. Absolutely, yeah. You're gonna see all these vascular atrials going around the place. <laughs> Jeff, I think we've proven our point enough on that in terms of what coaches do wrong, and we love them all. We love them all. We talked about research, and we we're moaning about people not using research. But we're more than that. We might come across as just people who love a laugh and love kind of bitching about other coaches and moaning. But we're all about action. As we've shown, to be fair, no, we are all about action. What are your belief systems as a coach? What, like, tell me what you're passionate about in coaching. Why are you, like, you know what I mean? What do you really, what characterizes Jeff in terms of coaching? What do you believe in? Give me examples of what you'd like to do on top of it. And what can you do? And then the second question is, what can you do to help Irish football in the long run? What are your aspirations? I know that's a lot there, so just try and encapsulate it all. So for the first one, I think beliefs in terms of me as a coach, I have to be energetic. Like okay. uh, for me, I want to be energetic to transfer that over to, to the players. Mm-hmm. I want to see progression. That's my belief. If someone isn't progressing from what I'm doing as a coach, I'm doing something wrong. Okay. Because it's not about it's not about me building up my ego to say, oh, I did this daily session, here's a session plan for it. I want someone to come watch me do a session. How do you progress there? Because like, that has a lot to do with skill acquisition. I want to touch on this with you really quickly. Progression. Tell me about progression there really quickly. Sorry to interrupt, but just pause. Tell me how you progress and say a shooting situation you were telling me about remember you sent me the england team doing the video of the shooting yeah describe that really quickly and then tell me how they get better at it. just to show progression from normal coaches so with the just for context i suppose context again the the video i sent ethan was the english national team a few months out from the euros like it was whatever yeah. the, the last camp say before the euros they were doing a, a crossing and shooting uh, activity, I suppose. Yeah, your wingers, whatever way they, they played were 4 3 3. So they're, they're wingers and the central striker, ball going in, all unopposed at the, at the video was all unopposed. So no defenders. No defenders, yeah. No, there was a goalkeeper and then that was it. So what they were doing was high tempo, high intensity, crossing, shooting, finishing. Oh, it was good. Loads of goals going in, looked great. So that was a 
what, one minute, one and a half minute clip of them doing it. Yeah. Which was obviously taken from a 90 minute training session, we could say. So context again is key. That then progresses and we don't see it. But what we were talking about progression wise was how do you make that into a, a relevant game situation? And your natural progression from that is they've done it unopposed, grand, do that for a minute or two maybe. And then you go into, you have defenders. Now you've content. Now that's that's a real life game situation. You have defenders against attackers. Defenders don't want the ball to go into the net. Attackers do. Then you progress that, you add in your fullbacks. Now you have a 4v3 situation or 4v4. Um, then that progresses again. You add in your midfielders. And then you might add in the opposition striker forwards. And, and this is as they get better, Jeff. Yeah, they have to master first of all, don't they? But that's it. Like it, it's it's progression. So you see grand unopposed scoring goals, perfect. Defenders are in. So it's a, a three v two, two centre halves against three attackers. Perfect. Goals are it might take a few more minutes, but goals are going in then because obviously there's more attackers than defenders. Then you're seeing that, okay, we're going to put in fullbacks. So now the crossing players have opposition. There's someone there to tackle them, someone to stop the cross or block the cross. They don't have time to pick it nice and quick and nice and easy. Then you add in, you know, maybe more attacking midfielders. So you have more bodies in the box, more people to pick up, more free people. Grand goals start going in again. Then you start adding in the opposition midfield. So now they're picked up and you need to have a bit more shape about you, a bit more structure because the opposition are going to have outlets now to play out of that once they clear it. And then now it's starting to look like a game. You add in a goal at the other end, there's another goalkeeper, and now your progression, there's, there's yeah. benefits being seen, and you're playing in an actual game-like scenario, 1v1s, 2v1s, overloads, crosses going in, people making mistakes. That's the biggest thing in a game-like scenario. If, if you're unopposed, you make a mistake, you go, ah, Grant. No, no one there's clear. There's no repercussion from it. Yeah, you're in a five v five small side of game. You pass the ball, doesn't go to your player, goes to the opposition. They go up and score. You're getting hammered from your teammates because you get the ball away. There's no turn and just going. Ah, sorry, because you do that in training, and then you go into a match. You got to play the same pass across the box, give away to the striker. He goes in and scores. What like? What, what are you thinking? Ah, grand. No bother. We're one nil yeah. down. That could be, that could be the Euros final. That could have been, you know, Maguire to Stones, and Immobile nips in, grabs the ball and scores. But if they were doing that constantly in training and didn't care about it, Grant. So the key message there: train the way you play. One hundred percent. Train the way you play in every aspect to mirror exactly how you're going to behave in competition, because that's exactly how you will. In terms of the progression that Jeff was talking about going from easy to difficult, check out our mini presentation that we have up on random versus block practice. And it's just below at the end of this page. Or is it, No, sorry, it's on the other eCoach Club homepage. Jeff, tell us more about what characterizes you as a coach and tell me what you'd like to offer to Irish football or Irish sport or even maybe a broader scale. What your aspirations are? Um. To characterize myself, I'd like to think of myself as innovative with uh, a research-backed grounding. I know yeah. that sounds like 
that sounds very fancy, but basically all it is is that I, I do my research before I go and I put a session together. And that could be research on how to communicate with players or it could be research on how we want to play and like everything in between that. So in terms of like style of play or just getting the message across, that that's how I see myself as a coach is that it has to be backed by something. It can't just be an idea that I've come up with that has no relevance. Like that, there has to be context to it. Um, how can I benefit Irish football? No, I know, I know you will. I know you are. Irish football is benefiting a lot. That's not the question. The question is, what are your aspirations? What do you want to see change because of you? In Irish football, in world football, in any sort of title, and what are your main aspirations in sport? When you look back in 30, 40 years, what do you want to see? I played a part in that, or I changed that, or I did that. I'd like to influence how people apply research in a, a football-based scenario. So how do, how do you put that into kind of like layman's terms? I suppose make like research-backed football or football training sessions or whatever the norm. That mm-hmm. it's not just you do this because you did it as a player or you do this because you were told to do it. That there's just there's research there similar to the stuff that you're doing that's context specific it's it's based off proven techniques and methods yeah that it, it, it's easy to follow and that there's there's a legacy there to to go on after that like that it's not just follow the leader it's it's be innovative be creative but have a grounding have a back into it do you think we'll see that kind of future within our time in sport or do you think it's you think it'll take a long time to come in i think we're starting to see it now you're seeing it not well maybe here but certainly seeing sort of like the these new age coaches in in europe mostly the likes of nagelsman Mm -hmm. the likes of um and you're probably going to laugh at this, but like Solskjaer and his whole coaching team, like obviously I'm a United fan, but uh, Solskjaer's coaching team. homegrown players and team is, it speaks a lot. So. <laughs> it does. Three homegrown players in the starting lineup, more often than not. So, you know what yeah. I mean? I've, I gave him a lot of stick, but you can't really give stick when you finish second in the league. But we're going to save that for Cunningham, my, my, my podcast, talk about Premier League. But go on with what you're saying. Like his his coaching team is made up of people that went to Loughborough University. Like, yeah, it's made up of educated coaches that have come through an academic setting. So, like, that's that, that's very interesting. That's having an impact, and and you can see yeah. it. And and th- these are like new age coaches. Like they're they're coming through systematic processes that educate them, but they're now applying it in, in a practical setting and you're starting to see that. Like these aren't ex-pros coming in to be a manager. No. They're not ex-pros coming in to be a coach. No. These are students. Oh, they played football, but it's and not. Yeah, of course. But they, they, they didn't play for United. They didn't play for Derby. They didn't play for, you know, Fleetwood Town. Yeah. They played for Loughborough University. But I didn't know that before, and that's actually really cool to find out. 
Nagelsmann obviously got injured at a young age, wasn't able to continue his career, but went back and studied. Look at um, the Brighton manager. What's his name? Brian Potter. Brian Potter. Perfect example. He's done a, a master's in human relationships or... I think, yeah i think it is that i think it's i think he has a the guy read that and from the culture he he instilled and that's something that we even learned about and something we might actually do as well we should definitely do some sort of research on at some stage that graham potter instilled such a culture i forget the name of the team they were in the fourth division in sweden yeah yeah and they ended up in the first division and won the league and won the league I don't know and that was a lot down to the culture he instilled and the belief system he set up around the town and around the team which is yeah. amazing Jeff we're gone over the hour mark tell me just so because the whole point and there's going to be a lot of food for thought here and if coaches want it once again if they want it the knowledge is here for them to take but give me your three tips, just easy three tips to understand really quickly to coaches and three tips to players because hopefully there will be some players listening to this. Three tips for coaches. They can be three, they can be two, they can be five. It doesn't matter. Just a good well, for coaches anyway, go and coach. Coach different players all the time. Coach as many teams as you can or players as you can. If it's like a a parent coaching a, a son's team sort of thing. Um, go watch other coaches coaching the other teams. See what they're doing. Take ideas off everyone. I think that that's the biggest thing. Um, second one would be be context-specific and be context-specific in your learning and your application. So don't watch clips of Liverpool training because that's all they are. They're clips of Liverpool training and it's not their actual training session. And these are professional footballers. They're not under eight. So they already know how to kick a ball or pass a ball or dribble a ball. Yeah. Watch the best coaches around you coaching the under eights, the under nines, whatever it is, and learn from them the way they talk to people, the way they demonstrate everything like that. Um, and then the third one would be to network. So talk, talk to people. Like don't, from different sports, like, not even sports like can, can be anything but talk to them reach out to them learn like that that's the main thing it doesn't have to be academic learning but obviously it helps but I mean talk to people who've done that and let them explain it to you in in easier terms that that are like there to understand as opposed to reading an academic paper you might not have gone through college and, and gone through that whole process yeah. before and number four, listen to the mini podcasts on the eCoach Club. Thanks for that, Jeff. Cheers. Subscribe. <laughs> tell me players. Tell me players. And then we'll wrap it up. Players. Um, have, going back to Reese Wabara, have big aspirations. And don't be disappointed if they don't work out the way you thought because your goals should constantly change. And that's fine. But have big aspirations and always aim for the top. Um, listen, be a sponge, and be who, Jeff? Like who or to who? To who? To who? Listen to who? Everyone, your other other players on the team, older players, younger players, coaches, managers, 
but be a sponge and then I think the important thing is absorb everything and then you know what you do when a sponge is obviously like full of water and you wring it out and when you're wringing out that try and get rid of all the bad stuff and, and yeah. retain all the good stuff um, and that'll that'll just come over time and then uh, the last one is no matter what level or sport or whatever you're doing it doesn't have to be sport is um, be high performing so that's different from a high performance so think high performing versus high performance it's um, do everything to the best ability or level that you can do and make whatever environment you're in a better one I love that point that's class that was a belter mate hour six minutes not bad just a bit over no worries uh, subscribe to the e-coach where can people find you Jeff <laughs> um, best spot is questions is Twitter so the handle is at Lahart Jeff and then I'm on LinkedIn as well If that, that's one that I usually use for work stuff so if you want to keep up with anything that we're doing the Special Olympics LinkedIn is probably the way to, to find me which is just Jeff Lahart you'll find me there Mate, thanks for watching that. Yeah. No worries. Thanks for having me. I'll see you tomorrow night for the match. You will indeed. I'm on the bows. There you go. He doesn't actually mean that. See you later, <laughs> guys. Thanks so much.